Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back, as always, to Notice and Friends. I'm here today with my good friend, Luke Moody. And today we're going to talk about a bit of a weird subject for us. It's not really a subject that we want to cover or want to talk about, but it comes up. It comes up in our business. So the topic is homosexuality and transgenderism. And before we really do get into it, let me just say that I'm actually completely sick of hearing about this. It seems that in the regular world, in my regular life, I hardly run into anyone who's gay or transsexual, but I turn on YouTube or something and literally everybody has been talking about this for a couple of years. You know, transgender males getting into female sports and female bathrooms and all this stuff, all this controversy, you know, liberal education world teaching our children about sex and you know supposedly pushing them to be gay or transgender or to identify that way and all this stuff and there's a bunch of different arguments about why this is happening and about what causes homosexuality or transgenderism in the first place and this is how it overlaps with us because we are in the health business you know we have to talk about things like birth defects And by the way, this is very controversial. This is one reason why we're doing this podcast is because whenever we present information about birth defects or the function of certain brain regions in relation to sexual behavior, we get a ton of pushback. Like we're calling it a disease and people get upset because they think that if we identify something as a birth defect, that that means that it's a problem. That means that it's a deviancy. That means that we need to cure this thing. And that's not what I'm getting at at all. These are just objective facts here that we're trying to parse through. And I believe there's at least four things going on in producing more homosexual behavior than normal, because a certain amount actually is normal in humans and in animals, as far as I can tell. And definitely the transgender thing is something that has increased rapidly in recent years so there's clearly not a normal trend happening here the normal trend has been altered we're going to talk about all these things and before we really get deep into this just going to mention that we don't have any sponsors here so i don't have any ads to read to you or anything but you can find everything that i do everything that we do 
on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us, so that's notusbooks.org. You can find there the books that I've written and helped publish. Most of them are in the health category. You can also find the free versions of all of my books on notusbooks.org in the audiobook section. And you can find all the contact information, all of our accounts on Instagram and YouTube and so on, everything on my website, notusbooks.org. We do also post an archive of this podcast on the website as well, where you can download them for free. And actually, there's a special treat in the version that's posted to the website. You have to listen all the way to the end, but it is there. Just a little bonus for you if you listen to them on the website. And that's my uh, little intro. But Luke, before uh, we jump in, last episode we did, I shared a couple of uh, testimonials. And I I think that's a pretty good thing to continue I do share a lot of testimonials on Instagram, and these testimonials have nothing to do with homosexuality. These are just about health. Again, we're in the health business. People do ask us about homosexuality and transgenderism. And as far as it's a political subject, I like to stay completely away from it. Generally, politics, sex, and religion, those are three topics that I want to avoid in business. They do not help our business. And this topic is kind of like all three of those things, politics, sex, and religion, all heaped in together. So it's a subject I try to stay far away from. But again, it's a big subject in today's society. And people do want our opinion from the health perspective about it. So we're not going into anything moral here or anything. I don't personally care what anybody does in their bedroom. I hardly even care what I do in my own bedroom. This is not an important part of life, in my opinion, and it's being given way too much emphasis in today's society defining yourself by your sexuality is one of the shallowest ways i think that you could form your own personality and your own self-worth and you know build your life on it's definitely not something that i think deserves the attention that it's getting right now all right so i've got two testimonials to share today i'm just going to share one right away it's a voice message here and i'm just going to hold it up to the microphone and hope that we can all hear it Friday family. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Always thankful for you. I've shared so much of your knowledge with a bunch of my friends and I've told them to contact you if they have any concerns with their health or anything regarding nutrition and proper mineral absorption and all the, all the issues that you've taken care of for my mom. My mom, basically she has zero acid issues at all and while she's taking the med you know the the nutrients and the minerals and all the things inside those uh products man my mom my mom is at a hundred percent energy everything like just overall like no body aches no pain like up and going like ready to go so i'm extremely thankful always man i appreciate that was a pretty good testimonial his mom's at 100%. Didn't really get any specifics there. I don't remember the case. We get so many cases. I, I don't know, but I'm glad she's doing well. And I guess that's the last thing to mention. If you would like a health protocol for yourself or for someone you know, for anyone, you can always reach out to us. This is what I do for a living. Basically, half of it is just talking about this, translating this to people, teaching this to people. And the other half is answering messages, answering emails giving protocols that's what we do we give people a questionnaire with their basic info on it 
similar to like when you go to the dentist for the first time, they need a bunch of information. How old are you? How much do you weigh? Are you on any drugs? Do you have all your organs? All this stuff. And then based on that information, we give a recommendation. Because if you didn't know, the vast majority of health problems are caused by nutritional deficiencies and processed foods. And the vast majority are completely reversible. So that's what we do. And again, if you would like a protocol from us, it's completely free. The information is free. We do get paid if you buy our supplements, which we will recommend as part of the program. But we'll also give you the food information and anything else specific to you. All of that is free. All you got to do is reach out to us. Ask us for the questionnaire. So, Luke, you've been doing some homework on this the last couple of days. Yeah, uh, I have been doing some research on this the last couple of days. Um, it's sort of an uncomfortable topic, I guess, for everybody, but it needs to be talked about. Uh, I think the first thing that we were probably going to discuss today is uh, birth defects. And I wanted to know what you had to say about that. Well, this doesn't come from me. I'm not a pathologist. No. Dr. Wallach is. So Dr. Wallach is the uh, the head guru here, and I'm pretty much a disciple of Wallach. So I'm I'm just parroting what he says here. But actually, even Google and Wikipedia at least partially agree with Dr. Wallach here. So let's let's dive into this first of all. And again, this is one of the most controversial things that we ever post. I know every time this comes up on Instagram, we're gonna get flack for it. And there's a lot of people who resonate with the rest of our message. You know, they love it when we say processed foods are bad. They love it when we talk about essential nutrients. They hate it when we talk about behavior and birth defects. But behavior starts in the brain. And there's an area of the brain called the preoptic hypothalamus. Preoptic hypothalamus. And it coordinates sleep and body temperature but it also has a ton to do with sexuality. And we're told that the preoptic hypothalamus is sexually dimorphic. It is a sexually dimorphic brain region. Dimorphic means two. Morph is like the form. So there's two forms. Dimorphic. And we are a dimorphic species. The male and the female genders of our species are very different. There's two morphs, dimorphic. Male and female physiology is very different. That point somehow is controversial today, but it shouldn't be. This is very simple stuff. Throughout the animal kingdom, we see lots of examples of extreme sexual dimorphism, even much more extreme than the human species. The human male and female are not that far off in strength. There's no substantial difference in intelligence. You know, we're, we're very similar in many ways, but we also obviously have differences, physical differences. And I would say psychological differences as well, based on the different brain regions, dimorphic brain regions, including the preoptic hypothalamus. And this region is involved in the regulation of sex-specific social behaviors and the reproductive neuroendocrine system. So that means brain hormone system. This tiny little area, the preoptic hypothalamus, it's not a big region of the brain. It's very small. Any region of the brain, any region of the body is subject to birth defect if there's nutrient deficiencies or poisons or, you know, like alcohol. Pregnant mother drinks alcohol. This can cause damage to the fetus. Well, the damage could be in the spine. The damage could be in the lip, right? Cleft lip, cleft palate. 
And these types of defects can also happen in the brain. You can have regions of the brain that are underdeveloped. Now, this is not controversial at all when you talk about certain birth defects, such as cerebral palsy. Nobody disagrees that cerebral palsy is a birth defect. The cerebellum, which governs our, our motor cortex, our ability to move properly, have control of our motor system, that's in the cerebellum. If the cerebellum is underdeveloped, the person has what we call cerebral palsy. If they have a mild form, they may just have some severe tics, difficulty walking. You know, they might just not look like they have full control of their body, might look a little bit wonky. And if they have the extreme forms, then they will be living in a wheelchair their whole life. They'll be lucky if they can move their hand to use the little stick that uh, they used to control the chair. So they're completely disabled, basically, cerebral palsy. And I bring this up because when we say that a defect in the preoptic hypothalamus can change someone's sexuality, can cause them to be bisexual, asexual, transgendered, or homosexual, people freak out, right? And they say that these are not diseases. These people are perfectly fine. How dare you suggest that this is a disease that needs treatment or that needs preventing or something, right? Well, nobody would argue with that about cerebral palsy. If you've ever seen someone with cerebral palsy, you can see it's a pretty miserable existence, right? They're in pain kind of constantly. Many or most of them have to wear diapers. They need constant care for their entire lives. They're never going to be able to be self-sufficient, to have a job, probably never going to get married or have any sort of romantic relationship in their entire lives. And they're probably not going to live very long either. So nobody disagrees with the idea that, hey, if cerebral palsy is a birth defect, and most birth defects are preventable, which they are, then we absolutely should do something about that. We should aim to prevent birth defects like cerebral palsy. Again, nobody disagrees that we should do that for cerebral palsy, but people go up in arms when we talk about the preoptic hypothalamus and homosexuality. So, Luke, let me just read something quick here from Dr. Wallach's book. Rare Earths Forbidden Cures. I'm on page 153 here. Homosexuality was long thought to be an emotional, environmental aberration created in the child by improper role models and improper parenting. Then homosexuality was related to a choice of sexual preference. There is now a kaleidoscope of sexual behaviors, choices, and displays. However, none of the members of this ever-growing subculture can refute the fact that there are only two sexes male and female. This book was written in 1994, by the way. This is way before the uh, current controversy of that statement, because it was not controversial before that uh, there are only two genders, two sexes. A series of preventable embryologic events frequently result in physical and or emotional and behavioral aberrations. These congenital defects can result in individuals who are neither male nor female, or who could be both male and female at once forming five commonly accepted classifications. Less understood is the increasing frequency of gay individuals who are physically normal males or females. In firstly talking about congenital defects, intersex is the medical term used to describe the term hermaphrodite. A female hermaphrodite may possess one testicle and one ovary. A male pseudo-hermaphrodite could have testes and some recognizable female genitalia, but lack ovaries and a female pseudo-hermaphrodite 
may have ovaries and some noticeable features of male genitalia, but no testicles. John Money of Johns Hopkins University, a specialist in the field of congenital sexual organ defects, defects that are found at birth and related to mineral or vitamin deficiencies of the embryo, states that intersexuals can constitute as many as 4% of all births. That's more than I thought. 4%. That's a lot. Very few intersexuals maintain their faulty dichotomy of sex, and most are identified at birth and placed in programs of hormonal and surgical corrections to enable them to blend into the heterosexual society as normal males and females. The goals of these programs are clearly non-judgmental and humanitarian and are to be applauded. However, the social and surgical problems of intersexuals could be totally avoided by proper preconception nutrition of the embryo. Then he talks here about the term hermaphrodite from the Greek uh, male Hermes and the female Aphrodite, so hermaphrodite. And in many true hermaphrodites, the testicles and ovaries develop separately, but equally on the right and left sides. In some, the gonads fuse, forming an ovotestes. See, I don't think anyone would disagree that these are obviously birth defects, right? If you have a fusion, half testicle, half ovary, obviously that's a birth defect. People just get caught up when we're talking about the brain regions. Has Wallach uh, updated this since then, since 94, you said? Yeah, this edition I have here is 96, but still, that's quite a long time ago. Yeah. But he, he has been saying the same thing. He hasn't updated that. He's still talking about the preoptic hypothalamus, and if anything, it seems that there may be more of these birth defects in modern times, in more modern times. Let me say, too, that I'm pretty sure 99.9% .9 of all people born in the modern world have birth defects, at least in minor senses, such as very few of us have our wisdom teeth. Very few of us have faces wide enough, have a dental arch that's big enough to fit all of our teeth. That's a birth defect. We're supposed to fit all of our teeth. That dental plate is supposed to be nice and wide, so that our noses can stretch across that. So we're supposed to have big, wide nostrils. This is why all Indian people, right? Australian Aborigines, even the Canadian and Alaskan Eskimos, any of the tribes down in South America or Papua New Guinea or Africa, anywhere that's not the modern world, they have stretched faces with wide nostrils. All of us people born in the modern world, almost all of us have skinny faces, we're called mouth breathers because our airways for our nose are not fully developed because the dental arch is not fully developed. So therefore, the nose can't stretch properly across it. I'm just saying 99.9% .9 of people born in the modern world, in my estimation, have some form of a birth defect, not just in our physical skeleton, probably also in our brain, our brains being underdeveloped. Even though IQs keep going up, I do think that the brain defects are becoming more prevalent. And this goes for the immune system as well. Sorry, is this uh, for like Western Hemisphere? So like people that are in like like the food supply we have compared to them? Do you think that has a lot to do with it? Well, yeah, but I'm saying anywhere in the industrialized world now. Even if you live in third world, you know, or you live in uh, Rio de Janeiro or something, you know, if you grew up in a city buying food from a store, you have a birth defect, most likely 99.9% .9 chance. You don't have to be in the West. You don't have to be in the north. Countries all over the place are eager to catch up to our way of living. And in turn, they're catching up with our health problems, our disastrous health problems that we have. And so, yeah, diabetes is rampant now in the third world as well, in China and all this stuff. They're just getting more and more modern diseases and birth defects are definitely included in that.
And as I was saying, I, I had birth defects. I was born with birth defects. I was born with dysplasia, dislocated hips, and musculoskeletal problems all throughout my childhood. And I believe that I'm fundamentally weaker in my immune system too. You know, my mom, I've only ever seen her sick once in my entire life. I used to get sick all the time. Even though now I'm much healthier, I'm supplemented properly and all that. I don't have pains and aches and all that stuff. But I'm still way weaker in the immune sense than my mom or someone like Chef Norman, my housemate. You know, they were both born very robust. It's got nothing to do with genetics. It's got everything to do with the nutrition that you had when your mom was pregnant and when you were being raised. What were you raised on? Were you raised on bone broth? You're probably going to be a big boned, hearty person, right? You're raised on breakfast cereals like me and millions of other people, breakfast cereals and Pop-Tarts and pizza and all this stuff, you're going to have many, many developmental issues. You're not going to develop correctly. And you may have other problems, hormone problems, blood pressure, blood sugar, blood cholesterol, all this stuff. I'm just saying that I do think that part of our weakened immune systems is because of a birth defect. And this is probably also why we see younger people now with way more severe gluten intolerance, for example, young people today, some of them come to us with head to toe psoriasis and, you know, colic and Crohn's disease and all this stuff and they're babies. They're six months old, two years old. Their mom didn't have that big of a problem with it. She's got some symptoms, but not that bad. Right. My mom, she's very hardy. Again, she can eat the gluten and not get a severe reaction to it. I will get a severe reaction. My younger siblings would get a more severe reaction. My younger siblings are obviously more intolerant than me. Well, if I was born with birth defects because my mom was low on nutrition when I was born, then obviously, if she didn't supplement and she didn't between pregnancies, then my younger siblings were born with even less nutrition available. So the gluten intolerance is going to be worse. The immune system is going to be worse. The developmental defects are going to be worse, more pronounced, more obvious. Just saying this is happening in generations. Each generation seems to be getting weaker and weaker. And in large part, we're blaming them on birth defects. Uh, the people that you're talking about earlier with the bigger passages to their nose, so they overextend, they have enlarged faces. Do they suffer the same as many birth defects as someone like us in the modern world? I don't have the stats for that in front of me, to be honest. But I'm just saying in general, in the places that don't live on processed foods, if that's the only criteria we're looking at, they will all have wider faces and more fully formed skeletons. And that'll be more true if they're consuming traditional mineral sources like wood ash, bones, blood, all this stuff, organs. Those cultures will be hardier by skeleton and you'll see that in their face. Their face will be wider and that means they can get more oxygen through their nose. How we're supposed to breathe. We're not supposed to be mouth breathers. That's a problem. Okay. I can't pronounce the word you're using before in your brain uh, as a birth defect, as a way people are transgender, homosexual. Are we going to elaborate more on this topic or should I just hop into the next one? Well, let's just finish this one off because we don't need to go too deep into it. You can look at birth defects in the preoptic hypothalamus. I mean, anybody listening, you can look into this. I'm telling you, this is what to look into if you want to look at the birth defect argument for it. It is a defect in the preoptic hypothalamus. It's a tiny little organ. If it doesn't have enough cells in it, you will be sexually abnormal in some way if we define normal sexuality as mostly heterosexual. Let's say that. Let's say that normal sexuality is mostly heterosexual. 
And in here as well, Dr. Wallach does have some more points. And I think I'm going to bring those back up later when we get to one of our other um, one of our other topics, because we've got, I said, several contributors here to what I think causes homosexuality and transgenderism. Well, you just heard about some cases of animal transgenderism. This is very well documented. Again, we know that there can be ovaries fused with testicles and all this stuff and animals that have some female genitalia, some male genitalia. And very obviously, that's a birth defect. That's been figured out. So maybe we should go into trans and gay animals here just to uh, kind of elaborate a little bit more on this, because there are a lot of people who want us to say that homosexuality is wrong. A lot of our audience is very conservative and very Christian and even Muslim. We have lots of Christian and lots of Muslim followers, and both of them want to believe that homosexuality is somehow wrong fundamentally, like morally or, you know, they say it's unnatural. Well, I do have a fairly large problem here because there are many, many examples all throughout the animal kingdom of homosexual behavior in both male to male and female to female and rape of course rape is very common in the animal kingdom as well but especially homosexual rape talking about dolphins talking about monkeys talking about all kinds of species rodents and the numbers can be much higher than humans right in humans it was kind of always said that around four percent of males or two to three percent of females were gay in humans but in some animal species, it can be much higher than that. For example, with many species of geese, geese normally pair for a whole season, a whole mating season, or their whole lifetime. And it's been estimated that up to 20% in some geese species can be homosexual couples. Two females or two male geese that don't have a gosling. They're just a couple. 20%. That's That's really high. So that's why I say... Normal sexuality in the animal kingdom seems to mean mostly heterosexual and partially homosexual. It seems that there is always or almost always a small percentage of individuals who prefer their own sex, whether it's an animal or a human. And I don't think that's uh, because of birth defect or anything like that. Do you think this is because like... Are they having sexual interactions or do you think they need someone to be with as like a friend? I think both. I think both. Most animals don't mate for very long. Like humans and a couple other species have very long drawn out mating copulation. But a lot of animals, it's it's very, very brief. So I think the sex part of it is quite small. And I think the companionship part is much more like, for example, with the geese, they will do their little displays to each other, right? Like normally a male will do a display to attract a female or when they're paired up, he'll do the display just sort of to please her, I guess. I don't know. When they're together, when they're happy, they do displays for each other in the water. They dance around in the water a little bit. And it seems to just be a very important part of the, their behavior, their social life. I, I assume that they're happy. I assume that this is a sign that they are content with the partnership with the company and they, they want to show their partner it. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into geese here, but it's definitely not all sex. Again, many, most species of animals, sex is either very brief or in many cases, it only happens once. Like in the case of uh, spiders and tarantulas and many insects, the sexual dimorphism is in the opposite direction in a lot of these species, pretty much all insects, all arachnids. The female is the one that's bigger, more powerful, 
lives longer. And in fact, in many species, especially in tarantulas, the male, its only purpose in life is to breed and to breed once. That's it. Insects have an exoskeleton, right? They don't have an internal skeleton. They have a shell. And every now and then they grow out of their shell. So they have to molt. They, they shed their old shell and they create a new one. They grow into a new one. So on the last molt of a male of many of these species or most of these species of insect, arachnid, so on, invertebrates, on the male's last molt, he won't eat at all. He's done. His life is done. His only purpose at this point is to find a female and mate. And he even on this last molt grows an extra set of appendages. They're called pedipalps. We call them boxing gloves in the industry. I used to be in the pet industry. Once they've grown their pedipalps, you know that that animal is almost done. That male tarantula, you better breed it right now or it's just going to die. It won't eat again. It won't drink again. Probably some of them will a little bit, but they're basically done. They've, they've lost all of their instincts to do anything else other than find a female. They grow this extra set of appendages, the boxing gloves, because the female is so much bigger, more powerful. The male actually needs some help subduing her. Once they've copulated, the male will die. It'll go off into a corner and die, or it'll just sit there and wait for the female to devour it. That's pretty wild. So yeah, when when we're talking about the motivation of sex itself, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's either everything to the creature, or it's kind of a small part of life. Yeah, they just, they copulate frequently and, and just rapidly, you know, a lot of species take seconds to copulate, literally. So I don't know how much that plays into their, their mental life or, I would imagine that the companionship means much more to them. Going back to the geese, Ryan, did you happen to know if there's more homosexual geese than lesbian geese? Like, is there a ratio or are they about the same? I don't know. I think it's about the same. But as as mentioned, we know in humans that it's, it's more likely in males. Maybe there's underreporting going on for females, but we know it's more common in males. The only reason I'm asking that is because if there's more females than males and just saying they don't have companionship or a mate, that they want to hang out with someone so they're not truly by themselves. I was just wondering, based on those stats, maybe I could find an answer to that. Well, maybe, but the the geese are very interesting because it's hard to be lonely if you're a goose because they travel in packs. They live in packs. I, I don't think there is a solitary species of geese. I don't think it works like that. They're almost always in huge flocks. Yeah. So even if they do have a mate that or a, a person that they want, whether male or female or both together, they always hang out in packs anyways, but they do have their partner. Yeah. So there's something else interesting here too. And I'm not sure how clearly this applies to animals, but in humans, all embryos start out female. Every embryo, you start growing in the womb as female. And I believe it's at six weeks. Let me just check this. Yeah, six to seven weeks here, Google tells me. The expression of a gene on the Y chromosome induces changes that result in the development of the testes. So at six to seven weeks, the fetus starts transitioning into male. It started female. It always started female. Female is the base design for the human embryo. And males are changed at six to seven weeks. But the thing is, the brain and the nervous system has already started developing at six to seven weeks. And this is actually one reason I think birth defects are more common in males, or at least these types of neurological defects and stuff, spinal defects and stuff are more common in males because they have extra changes to start doing at six to seven weeks in the embryo. 
whereas the female just develops as it's supposed to. So I think something can go wrong when part of the brain is rewiring because it literally is rewiring. Again, it's already started to develop in the female way, the typical female way. But then once that gene induces these changes, the brain literally does start rewiring. And I think problems can happen in that rewiring process, or at least that might explain why there's more of these defects and more homosexuals possibly, right? We're talking about the fact that a little tiny brain region here, the preoptic hypothalamus, can be damaged, it can be underdeveloped, and that can cause to a change in the sexual behaviors, the sexual desires. And again, it's not just homosexuality. They could be totally asexual, have no interest in sex. They could be bisexual. They could be hypersexual. All kinds of things, but they've changed the normal established pattern for most people. Brian, what is a hypersexual? I just got to ask. Well, someone who's obsessed with sex, you know, someone who just that's all they think about their their whole life is revolving around sex not you know there's there's some people who their, their life revolves around their hobbies and using their hands and gardening and all this stuff music you know there's all kinds of things that yeah. people could revolve their life around but some people are, are hypersexual i actually think a part of that is a nutrient deficiency as well believe it or not but a completely different one let's backtrack here so you said there's more homosexual men than women and what you're describing of uh, all fetuses are female before they become male. Do you think that is the reason why there's more homosexual men than females? Yeah. Okay. And I think there's just more potential for something to go wrong in that conversion process than there is for a female. Gotcha. Um, are we are we done this topic? Can I go to the next one? Because I think this one's pretty interesting. Just uh, we're talking about the birth defects. So I've got a document here that I've been compiling for a bunch of years. It's just kind of lots and lots of different research on all the different 90th century nutrients. What does deficiency of these nutrients cause and what's the proof for it? So I've just been compiling this in its raw form, hoping to turn it into a book. And here it says in vitamin A, the very first nutrient, sexual disorders in both sexes have been attributed to vitamin A deficiency. Vitamin A being a key fat-soluble nutrient, fatty nutrient, and all organs, all glands, including the brain, including the testicles, including the ovaries, including all, all the reproductive components, all of them are made of fat. So the fatty nutrients are absolutely key to their development and to their function. And vitamin A deficiency also causes birth defects, cleft palate, congenital defects of the eye and heart. As well, zinc is required for sexual development. And those are only two nutrients, but those are two key fat-soluble nutrients that are very, very important in the reproductive system in general and in the brain in particular. And one doctor, Dr. Michael Lesser, he argues that niacin deficiency, vitamin B3, may act to dull the moral sensibilities, adversely affecting the individual's behavior. Whereas in most people, niacin deficiency causes depression or inability to concentrate. In others, it may be the underlying cause of thoughtless promiscuity, pathological lying, or petty thievery. Just saying that it's possible that a nutrient deficiency can change your behavior. That's definitely, definitely possible. And I just did a podcast on that, by the way, how nutrients can affect behavioral changes. It's the nutrition and mental health episode just posted recently. So we're relating this to homosexuality. Is that correct? Well, it could be. Um, homosexual men in particular are known to have a uh, astounding number of sexual partners on average, actually. 
So that uh, is definitely in the category of promiscuity to me. So would that be also within hypersexuality as well? Yeah, I just made up the word hypersexuality. Maybe, maybe other people use that word, but it basically just means promiscuity. I like it. You looked at transgender animals, didn't you? Yeah. So what I found was there are a lot of transgender animals. And then I also looked into hermaphrodites, too, where animals can go back and forth between their sexualities. And the one animal that stood out was the Nemo fish, the orange and black and white one, mostly orange with the orange and uh, the black and white stripe. Clownfish. Clownfish. And then they can change their sexuality, which I found that was very strange. I didn't do a deep dive into this, but um, I don't know. It's basically like general information that they're telling you that a lot of animals, uh, astounding number of animals are trans transgender, which I found that was uh, a little different. I didn't really know that. But then I'm almost thinking too as well, like... I don't think anyone generally wants to be alone on the earth, so everyone needs to be with somebody. Like, I don't know if they're all have, do you think they all have those same behaviors to be, to acting uh, a different gender than what they are? Well, in many species, there there isn't very strictly defined gender roles outside of getting pregnant and raising the, raising the cubs. You know, a female deer is really not that different from a male deer. The only difference comes in mating season. And the fact that all but one species of deer, I believe, the males are the only ones with antlers. I think, uh, I think, what is it, elk or caribou that the females have antlers as well. So the males and females look the same, they're the same size and all that. And like a female and male snake, there's almost literally no difference except when it comes to sex and the fact that one of them lays eggs. And that's it. The, the rest of their lives is completely the same. And I think clownfish is the same as well. Interestingly, the clownfish is a saltwater fish. All the minerals are in seawater and birth defects should be exceedingly, exceptionally rare in anything that grows in the sea. Unless there's some industrial runoff or something. In general, sea creatures should have very, very low rates of birth defects because minerals are not distributed around the earth equally, evenly on land. They're not. They're distributed in veins. In seawater, it is even. There's an even spread of all the minerals on the periodic table, all the elements in seawater so theoretically every embryo should have access to every single mineral in the sea and birth defects should be very very low so the transgender sea creatures that does seem to be absolutely part of their normal physiology there are two things actually there's one thing that i saw that was uh different one female lion grew a mane and had traits of a male lion for the roar and also did all the hunting as well as a female so it was like this but she had female parts so they only found one lion that was like that, that was like had female parts, had looks as a male and had the same traits as a male lion, like the same deep voice and everything. That was one. And then the other one was that I thought was strange as well. Two penguins. Uh, they were males because they talked about penguins a lot as well. Male partners for years. I think it was like four or five years. And then one of the male penguins decided that they wanted to go mate with another female and then left that other male after years of being partners together. So I found that a little different as well. I'm like, oh, I didn't like maybe they're bisexual. I don't know if that's if they jump back and forth. Like, I don't know. Right. I just I thought that was a little different as well. So that's why I was thinking, like, maybe they just need to like, I don't know if any of these partners uh, that are the same gender are having sexual interactions with each other just basically what i've uh, uh, looked up 
on uh, YouTube or Red. Um, they didn't say anything in that nature, but I don't know. I don't. What do you think about that? Look, I think there's something to be said for gender fluidity, you know, and I know that uh, a lot of our audience is on the far right, and so am I, you know, frankly, doesn't seem to be any place left for the sane in the left, but I know they don't want to accept that there is any sort of thing as gender fluid. Now, let me be clear here. There are only two genders. There's male and female, and there are defective mixes Again, ovaries and testicles that can be fused together and so on and so on, hermaphrodites. So those, those are cl clearly defects. There are two main sexes, male, female. But the gender roles, much of it can be a social construct. And the idea of homosexuality, I'm reading a book right now about this. It's called A Natural History of Homosexuality. I intended to finish it before this podcast, but I'm only about halfway through. And I'm pretty compelled, actually, for at least part of the argument being that gender is somewhat fluid, especially for younger males. Let me put something else on the table here. The vast majority of all crime is committed by males, first of all, and young males, second of all. Vast majority of crime. Crime is very much a gendered phenomena. It's a phenomena of males, largely. And female criminals largely have male traits, male behavioral traits, territoriality and all this stuff. And Luke, you and I both grew up around a bunch of criminals, and we were, in fact, criminals ourselves. Now, both of us are grown up, more mature. We don't do any of that stuff. You know, you might speed in your car or something, but I know you haven't committed a serious crime since we were kids, and neither have I. So we grew out of it. That's what I'm saying, right? There's a lot of books that talk about criminality as if it's some sort of solid thing. It's not a fluid thing, right? But I would say absolutely crime is definitely fluid. Back when we were kids, you know, we, we weren't mature. Obviously, first of all, we didn't have much else to build our respect amongst each other. You know, that's why we fought and did territorial things and proved ourselves, you know, by doing daring acts. You know, young boys are stupid. Hardly any girls here. Girls don't want to hang out with us while we're vandalizing and doing drugs and drinking and you know girls weren't about that they didn't what what about, about instinct you think that's sort of instinctual as a young male as well like, oh, a lot of these behaviors yeah territoriality and upsizing one another and wrestling and all this stuff yeah a little lion cubs wrestle together and all this stuff too and i'm saying most human males grow out of criminal behavior they absolutely do it's a fluid thing and it is more so a thing when they're younger can you say, what is the, what do you mean by fluid thing? Fluid means it changes. Just because we were so rowdy when we were kids doesn't mean we're that rowdy anymore. I bet that you, definitely me, we used to care what other people think way more when we were kids. You talk to someone in their 40s and 50s, like both of us are in our 30s. I know both of us have a hard time caring about a lot of the stuff that we used to care about. And I bet by the time we get to our 40s and 50s, we're not going to care at all what other people think. Yeah. Right. But back then, yeah, a lot of this outrageous behavior was because we cared so much about what people think, because the young brain is different. You know, our brains are still rewiring well into the 20s. And yeah, our motivations are different. It changes. It's fluid, right? Once a criminal, not always a criminal. Once a liar, not always a liar. You can grow up. You can grow to learn that other people matter, right? That other people's feelings matter that the world doesn't revolve around you. I'm just saying some of the most troubled people I ever knew 
It was because literally they thought the world revolved around them. Some of them were fortunate enough to grow out of that and realize there is more. And I even I have a good friend, a mentor even, that he used to be a real bad person. He used to be an abuser. He abused his wife. He abused the people in his life. He took advantage of people. He treated people like they were just objects to get him what he needed. But he had to lose all of that. He lost his wife. He lost his house. He lost his life as he knew it. All of that had to happen for him to realize that actually other people's feelings matter, that actually the world doesn't revolve around him. And now he's one of the nicest people ever, but also one of the most attentive people. You know, if you're sitting down with him, you literally feel like he's he's paying attention to everything you say. He's paying attention to everything you're wearing. He's got, he's sizing you up. He's, you know, he it's all about you. He had to learn that by being the opposite type of person. So I'm saying that that, that was a really negative behavior profile that he had before. You might have been able to call him a psychopath before or a narcissist. But clearly, that's a fluid concept because he changed. He genuinely changed as well. He saw the harm of his ways. He felt bad about it. And he decided to be a better person. And he did. And there are many people like that. Both you and I included as well. We used to bully other people and do all this stuff too. We were in very rowdy groups of friends when we were younger. And by and large, almost all of us grew out of that. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I'm also thinking right now also, do you think homosexuality is fluid as well for some people? Well, this is what I was getting at. So this book that I'm reading, A Natural History of Homosexuality by Francis Mark Mondemore. This is also from 1996, before the current controversy. And they're talking about, first of all, all the way back in ancient Greek and Roman times, where they didn't really, they didn't have a definition of homosexuality like we do today. There wasn't such a thing as a gay man or a gay woman. Really, the only recognized category was dominant or submissive. So a man, as long as he's being dominant, is seen as a man. Younger men are expected to be submissive to the older men, right? An ancient Greek man was expected to have a wife and to dominate sexually young boys. This was expected. So as long as he was being dominant, he was being a man. There was nothing gay about it. They do write that there are a certain percentage of ancient people and tribal people, get into some tribal people too, that after the period that they're supposed to grow out of it, like the young Greek boys, they're supposed to grow into men and dominate other people when they grow up. They're not supposed to be the catcher for the rest of their life, right? Some of them preferred, though, to stay with males. And there was not a well-defined time when this was supposed to happen, right? It's just you were expected to act a certain way when you were a kid and to change that when you became a man. And by the way, most history is written by men. So we don't have much information on women back then. Most things were written by monks and priests and stuff, and they were by and large men. So almost all of history was written by a man and largely about men as well. We just don't have that much information on females. But yeah, even back then, a woman being with another woman was not seen as anything weird or whatever. It wasn't called lesbianism. That stuff didn't come in until like Victorian England. Or, you know, Middle Ages, Germany, and that sort of stuff. But in the ancient times, these things weren't defined. There was no such thing as gay. Most people were expected to be mostly with their own sex, especially when they got older. 
and especially men were expected to also have attractions to boys. Some of them preferred them more strongly. This is what I'm saying. I think the natural condition, as told in the ancients and in the tribal world, most men moved on to the next stage of their life and left that childhood homosexuality behind. And some of them didn't. A, a small percentage of tribal men or Greek men remained what we would now call homosexual. And it might have been seen as abnormal back then, but to have sex with a man itself, being a man, that was not what made you gay. And again, there wasn't a word for gay back then, but that itself, was that was not gay. You were expected to dominate others, especially younger than you. And you were not gay for allowing that to happen when you were a child either, because this is just part of the dominant submissive society roles that were laid out for you. So this was like you're you're saying of what you read. This was like common practice is dominate people would be like having sex with your own gender, like specifically males. Well, yeah, and specifically specifically boys. It would be weird for two adult men to have sex with each other, but adult men were not seen as weird for being attracted to young boys and dominating them sexually. So there's others too. Okay, so here's one. Like pre-Columbian Americans, the Sambia in uh, Papua New Guinea, the Sambia were a hunter-gatherer people. Both groups institutionalized sexual contact between members of the same sex, but the similarities end there. Institutionalized sexual contact between the sexes. Among the Sambia, homosexual contact was part of a ritual based on a primitive concept of male physiology and development. The initiation was a time-limited event, not unlike the ritual tattooing and scarring of boys to signify adulthood practiced among African tribes or Jewish ritual circumcision of male infants performed according to biblical mandates. The Sambia had no concept of a homosexual person comparable to the uh, the American Indian Burdachi, or maybe Burdach. I don't know. I'm just reading this. I never heard this word before. Burdach or Burdachi. Those are in the Americas. That would be a female who dressed like a man, went out hunting like a man, right? Or a, a male that stayed at the camp and acted like a woman and dressed like a woman. And often they would offer sexual services to people of the same sex. So that they're basically taking on the role of the other gender. That was common in the Indians. But the Sambia didn't do that. But basically they had, and lots of actually ancient and tribal cultures sort of had this belief that in order to become a man, you needed to be implanted with the semen of another man. Luke, I know this conversation is super weird for us. Neither of us are. We're both married to women, you know. I've, I've never had sexual feelings for any man or anything. A lot of this is, is very, very foreign to me. But apparently, in the wild, in the tribal environment, many, many tribes believe that to become a man, you had to have another man's semen up your anus. You need to become implanted with that semen to become a man. I don't know. It is what it is. But it seems like a, a dominance thing because I see that a lot with male dogs that they hump each other. And necessarily, I don't think that they're homosexual. I just think it's a dominant. Like I have power over you. I would think that would be more the case because uh, that seems sort of wrong for uh, young boys for that to happen to. But yeah. I think that would be the case. I agree. So uh, there's an observation here from the Sambia that. Some Sambian men did not relinquish homosexual activity at the expected age, right? So there's just sort of a general age where you're expected not to do this anymore. Now you're going to be a man. But some of them did not relinquish it. Some of them wanted to remain with that same sex 
eroticism. And let me say too, there's uh, further in this book, he's talking about uh, private schools in England in Victoria times and how it was very normal. And maybe even to this day, actually, we've probably all heard these kinds of rumors, you know, private boys only schools and stuff like that, where the boys are highly homosexual. When you lock the doors on them at night, turn the lights off. Apparently it gets rowdy in there. And apparently most of those men do not grow up to be homosexual. We might call them closeted homosexuals or something, but I actually don't think so. I think they genuinely grow out of it. Just like there's a, a disturbing percentage of farm boys that have sex with animals, right? When they're boys and the vast majority do grow out of it. So I think that, yeah, if you leave boys alone to their own devices, look at prisons too, same thing. A lot of guys will be gay or they'll do gay things in prison not when they're out of prison, right? But, you know, if uh, all male private boarding schools, it's sort of kind of like a prison environment. And yeah, it seems that it produces a lot of homosexual behavior. And also that that behavior is fluid, at least mostly fluid, because most of those boys do not continue doing that as they grow up. Yeah, but do you think also as well that that's all they know so that's why they stay with the same gender later in life if they do pursue the same gender i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. No, I, th I think it, that's genuine inborn preference. I think there is a small percentage, like I said, naturally just prefers the other gender. I'm not ready to blame it on a birth defect. I don't know what could be contributing, but in the animal kingdom, it seems perfectly normal for a small percentage of every species or almost every species to prefer the same sex. Do you have stats of what uh, genders are more fluid and then transition back to the opposite sex? rather than staying with the same sex? You mean in terms of sexual behavior, not in their like organs, right? Yeah. I don't, but let me, let me pull something up here. So this is where we go into the social construct idea, or we've kind of already started going into the social construct idea that in ancient Greece, the social construct was that men could definitely have sex with boys, no problem, no repercussions. There's no word like gay to call them not an insult totally normal every man was expected to do that that's the social construct as that social construct changed the behavior changed as well largely largely changed young boys are no longer expected to submit to dominant males at all right and the social construct of the sambia 
the men didn't see anything wrong with it because the social construct told them that they're supposed to have sex with men when they're young. And then as they get older, they get their own wife and all, and all that stuff. And they can dominate other boys later on. But it is largely a social construct in that sense. Well, the dark side of the social construct thing, we have the argument that it's a largely learned behavior, right? So in other words, back in Greece or back with the Sambia, most of those boys probably would not have willingly engaged in that if it were not for the social construct. They probably wouldn't have had interest in having sex with men if society wasn't telling them it's okay and these men weren't actually pushing them to do it. They probably wouldn't have done it. So I've got a very controversial book here. It's kind of a funny book, actually. It's called Exposing the AIDS Scandal by Paul Cameron, PhD. And I actually totally disagree with this book because to me, AIDS is a fake disease. And if that's shocking, check out my book, Fake Diseases, in the AIDS chapter. Of course, you can find all of my books, including the free versions of my books, on my website, notusbooks.org. And I actually just posted the whole audiobook version here on this podcast of Fake Diseases. You can check it out. I'm not going to go into it. Just saying, I don't agree with this guy at all because he's saying that gayness is what's caused the AIDS epidemic, basically. And I don't agree with that because the AIDS epidemic was a fake thing. It was a fake event. But he talks about something pretty important here. And this argument is coming up more and more. Right? They're saying, well, why are more Generation Z, for example, why are they more gay than the millennials why are the why were the millennials more gay than the generation before them part of the argument is that we've been encouraging people to be whatever gender right oh you could be gay right? we're telling kids this you could be gay you could be transgender if you want we're teaching them about sex it's been shown as well that the more you teach sex ed the more underage premarital pregnancies there are the more you talk about sex the more people have sex you teach people about sex, they go and have sex. You teach people about homosexuality, especially when they're young and they don't even know who they are yet. They may very well experiment just because you told them this is totally normal and natural for you to experiment with your sexuality when you're young, right? Social construct idea here. There's got to be something to it because there is a big increase in homosexuality and transgenderism each generation now, especially the Gen Z. They're the gayest generation we've ever seen. What is going on? Are birth defects happening just rampantly? Maybe. Maybe they are speeding up our chemicals, chemical hormone disruptors. That's another thing we're going to talk about. We can do that kind of quickly later on. Is that contributing? Probably yes. Is it partially a learned behavior? Probably yes. That's what I'm going to read here. A monkey see, monkey do, right? Yeah. Like if you're around that your whole life, you don't know. I'm not saying that you don't know any better, but you just learn what you've been around. If you're around criminal activity, you're going to more than likely do criminal things. And I mean, if your parents are alcoholics, you're probably going to experience with a lot of alcohol. Of course. And we're so easily influenced when we're kids too, by the way. No man ever tried to take advantage of me when I was a kid, but I think it would have been easy for them to do it, if I'm being honest. You know, I didn't really um, grow up with my dad around. He worked night shift and then he left when I was 14. I was always kind of eager for the attention of older men. I was the youngest in my friend group. Uh, even today, I still seek the company, the respect of older men. And I think, you know, when I was nine years old, 12 years old, it would have been so easy for a man to take advantage of that and to basically groom me into homosexual behavior, which causes tons of confusion. Obviously, everybody knows about cases like that, you know, where it's basically rape and the child, whether they're a male or female, can have 
years and years of confusion about it and shame and all, all this other stuff. So in the 1940s, before there was any gay movement in America, Kinsey asked almost 2,000 homosexuals why they thought they had become homosexual. His results? 22% blamed early homosexual experiences with adults or their peers. 22% said it's probably because an adult man had sex with me when I was a kid that I became gay. That's from their own words, 22%. And this is back in 1940. 16% said that it was because they hung around other homosexuals. 29% mentioned a poor parental relationship. 15% said unusual circumstances, like being a sissy, not getting along with the other kids. 12% said that heterosexual partners just weren't available when they felt like having sex. Right? So there's some males who will have sex with literally anyone. It's whoever's around. That's what they'll do. 9% mentioned social ineptitude. And 9% said that they felt that they were born that way. Only 9%. Only 9% said they felt like they were born that way. In their own words. 9%. That's interesting. Do we have anything that's like, that you said 1940s? Do we have anything that's like up to date now for stats? Yeah, there's another one here. So let me let me let me keep reading. So he's saying that notice when there was little political advantage to making born that way claims, there were few such claims. Just about all homosexuals described their sexual behavior as acquired, a learned behavior. And I'm not saying that this is 100% what I agree with. I think all of this is in play here. I think the birth defect on the hypothalamus, preoptic hypothalamus, I think that matters. I think chemicals, chemical uh, hormone disruptors matters, of course. I think uh, nutritional deficiencies in general matter for our behavior as well. You know, nutritional deficiencies cause anxieties and all this other stuff. When I was a kid, I was plagued with anxieties. I was eager to please other people. And as I mentioned, if a man took advantage of that, he probably would have probably would have succeeded. Then we've got the learned behavior component and we've got the social construct component. I think all of them work together. So here in a more recent survey on the issue conducted in 1983, which I know that's 40 years ago now, but hey, this book is kind of old. 22% of heterosexuals claimed that they were heterosexual because they were born that way, while 35% of homosexuals now make that claim. One 70-year-old homosexual stands out. When he was four, his father's chauffeur seduced him by fellating him regularly. By the time he was in his late teens, he was seducing small boys. But the most intriguing thing about his case was he said he was born a homosexual. Another homosexual who claimed that he was born, not made, was introduced to homosexuality by his uncle and one of his uncle's friends when he was aged five. By age seven, this little boy had been used by many men. And he really condemns this on moral grounds and religious grounds. As I said, we're not going there. Luke and I genuinely don't care. I think we do. We don't care. We're not religious. Do whatever you want. But if this behavior is being caused by these conditions, largely, most of them, these conditions can be changed. We can stop birth defects in one generation. We can stop birth defects with preconception nutrition, proper preconception nutrition, six months before conception. This is how we do it in the animal industries. If you breed cows or goats or snakes or whatever, and they have birth defects, it is your fault. In animal husbandry, we know this. It is your fault. It's not the gene's fault. It's not the cow's fault. 
it's your fault. You failed to give them enough nutrients to develop properly, or you exposed them to contaminated drinking water or something that messed them up. That's it. So we can stop the vast majority of birth defects in one single generation. We can stop the use of chemicals. We'll jump into that next, Luke. We cannot stop a certain percentage of trans and gay animals, apparently, including humans, we're animals. We can't stop a certain percentage of it, apparently. I'm, I'm willing to concede that. So a small proportion of all creatures may be homosexual, and that's not an aberration. That's just how it is in the kingdom. And we could definitely stop this learned behavior thing. Stop molesting children. That's obviously, it's one of the biggest causes of child molestation is being molested yourself. Not everyone who's molested goes on to be a molester. Not everyone who's abused goes on to be an abuser, but many of them do. So that cycle of abuse can stop. And we can stop teaching kids that it's okay to identify as whatever you want. Art, we could. We could adopt some of these Greek values or whatever. But I think a lot of people got abused in many of these tribal situations and stuff. I wouldn't want to grow up a Sambian in Papua New Guinea if I'm going to grow up getting raped by the other men. Right? No. It's not something I want. Maybe it is totally fine, like the English private schoolboys, to play around with their sexuality when they're kids. I personally don't actually see a problem with that. And the social construct, if it encourages that, you you will get more of it, sure. Or we could stop, <laughs> we could stop encouraging all sexuality in children. Honestly, I think that's probably the best bet. Well, I, I think you should just leave it the way it is, and whatever's instinctual for that person, they do. Like, you know what I mean? You don't have to tell them or show them or whatever. I think it, it just let them be, just do what they want. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, true. Just let them, like, you don't have to force certain certain narratives on these people in life. Just, like, leave them, leave everybody alone. You don't have to say this way's good, left way's good, right way's good, neutral's good. Just let them be who they want to be. You don't force anything in anybody's face. You know what I mean? And then they can make their own dec decision based on how they, whatever, how they feel. Yeah, fair. So let me say, too, that even though, like, Paul Cameron here, who I've been reading... He thinks that homosexuality is 100% a learned behavior, as I've kind of tried to make clear here. I do not believe that. And just to punch that in, I grew up with a gay kid. You know, he was in uh, he was in our school. His name's Justin. I don't feel a name to hide his identity. Everybody knew he was gay back in, when we were kids in the third grade when I moved to Pickering. Justin was gay, obviously. I, before any of us even really understood what it was, he acted like a girl. <laughs> you know, he's doing... His nails, he's got nail polish on and all this stuff. He talked like a typical gay guy. And I don't think he was influenced. I'm pretty sure his whole family is straight and whatnot. He just was obviously flamboyant from the start. And there was nothing wrong with that. I just kind of treated him like a girl, you know, but we, we hung out. We like going over to Justin's house, mainly because, well, he would feed us and stuff. But also the girls would go over there. Girls in our school. They wouldn't come to our houses. You know, we're, we're way too wild and, and destructive and unpredictable and all this stuff. The girls are not coming to our house, not at all. But they'll go to Justin's house. So we, we liked going to Justin's house. We like going to his birthday parties and all this stuff. The girls were there. You know, everyone's treated nicely. He was a great host. Tell you the truth. I don't have any problem with him. Never had any problem with him. We, you know, grew apart, of course. He just like the girls. He was not interested in hanging out with us for the most part because we're doing all kinds of wild things. We're doing vandalism and we're. You know, going out all night on the streets and drugs and drinking when we were kids and stuff. And they didn't want to be around that. And that's just 100% fine. You know, just different constitutionally. He was very obviously naturally gay. I don't think anyone pushed him to be gay. 
it was 100% obvious since we were little kids. And as soon as we got into high school, he came out and said, yeah, no, nah, I'm gay. And everybody said, yeah, we know. <laughs> you know, there's no no surprise here. Not at all. And that's fine. He can live his life like that. I don't think it was a learned behavior for him at all. Hopefully he didn't get raped when he was a kid, which caused it. I don't I don't think so. Very, very nice guy, man. Honestly, like uh, I consider him an old friend. Hopefully, if I ever see him again, uh, he'll think the same. I'd have no problem going up and saying hi and giving him a hug and stuff. You know, it's been a long time. Okay, so chemicals. I'm uh, chemicals in our food, chemicals in the air, uh, your environment, I guess, how how this would be affected in the topic that we're talking about. Do you want to start that off? And I know you have lots to say. Yeah, well, I do have lots to say, but we can do this one kind of quickly. In the health world and health business, there are a lot of people who are very concerned about chemicals, common household chemicals, like in cleaning products and, you know, deodorants and shampoos and all, all this stuff. All these things that can disrupt our hormones or disrupt other things in the body. There are some people who blame a lot of different health problems on these chemicals. I think they're taking the whole thing way too far because... I know in my part of the business that most of these problems are just nutrient deficiencies and they're completely reversible. A lot of these chemicals are in foods, even sugar, processed sugar. I would call that a hormone disrupting chemical processed sugar. Definitely. So children, people who eat too much sugar, they absolutely will be creating a hormone problem because of that. It's a, it's a hormone disrupting thing changes our hormone system. And yeah, a lot of these other chemicals like, in the vast majority of cases, you don't need to worry about this in order to fix your health, in order to get rid of the symptoms, in order to lose weight, in order to whatever, shrink a tumor, all this stuff. You don't actually need to get rid of these chemicals. It's a good idea, too. I like to use as natural stuff as possible. I'm just saying a lot of people are blaming chemicals for almost everything. They have no proof. They have no actual experience in reversing these problems. And I know a whole bunch of people come to us. They already got rid of all the chemicals. They're the cleanest people in the world. They eat 100% organic food. They don't vaccinate their children, right? These people come to us are health nuts. A lot of them are health nuts already. They don't have these chemicals in their home and stuff. Now, it will be impossible to completely avoid them in today's world. Everything is doused in chemicals before you buy it, basically. Your carpet in your house, you know, the paint on your walls, chemicals, it leaches out over time. I don't mean to be a catastrophist here. I'm just saying it is absolutely impossible to completely avoid modern chemicals unless you go build yourself a wood cabin. And don't insulate it because even commercial insulation will be leaching off chemical residue for decades. So chemicals are all around us. We still reverse health problems all the time. No problem. But there are some more severe hormone problems. The one I'll bring up is gynecomastia, the enlargement of the male nipple. You know, uh, males with uh, pointy breasts, pointy nipples. Any man that you see wearing a t-shirt at the pool He's got gynecomastia, very likely. It's becoming very, very, very common here. I've only met one practitioner who's ever said that he can completely reverse it. I have some cases where I've got about half reversal, maybe three quarters in a couple of the guys. I have to be extremely strict to, to do this because Dr. Sam Shea, the one guy who told me this was re reversible, he emphasized chemicals. He said, we got to get rid of all these chemicals that disrupt the hormones. Included is all the deodorants, all the, the aerosol sprays, all that stuff. Also, processed sugar and marijuana. Marijuana. Marijuana is known to lower testosterone in males and to change the 
hormones, basically. He changed the hormone system, influenced the hormone system, not for the better. But do you think marijuana is the main cause? Because I actually know two people with this problem, and they smoke a lot of marijuana. A lot. Like, more than people smoke cigarettes in a day. Do you think that could be the main cause? It could be if they are a weed addict, but... Um, I should mention, I don't know if you even know this, Luke, because I kept it quiet. I do talk about it in the health business, but I had gynecomastia. I paid to get them removed. It cost me a shoebox full of money to get them surgically removed. Those growths. I didn't know any of this health stuff. My doctor blamed marijuana. And many doctors continue to only blame marijuana. They don't talk about sugar. They don't talk about any of these other things. They don't talk about nutrient deficiencies. They blame marijuana. And I remember saying back then, saying, Doc, all of my friends smoke weed. What are you talking about? All of my friends smoke weed. And in fact, most of them smoke more than I do. You know, my buddies, they smoked at school. I didn't like smoking at school. I, I would get too paranoid and want to just go home. So I wouldn't smoke at school. My friends would smoke all day. They'd be smoking at the bus stop before we went to school. They'd be rolling a joint on the bus and smoking one before class. They'd be smoking at lunch. They'd be smoking after school. They would smoke all day and night. <laughs> Why don't they have these enlarged breasts, Doc? He couldn't explain that, right? So no, it's not 100% weed, but weed absolutely does affect hormones, especially in males. So I think it's one of the big causes, yeah, especially because weed is becoming so socially acceptable, and it's not good to start smoking weed when you're young anyways. We know that it is linked to higher dropout rates, you know, less college diplomas, higher divorce rates, higher likelihood that you will be in prison or that you will be on welfare. All these things become more likely if you start smoking weed young, as does addiction and brain damage, right? A lot of adults, if they start smoking weed later in life, they simply will not become addicted. They could have it here and there. They could take it or leave it. They don't need it like a lot of us do who grew up with it. And yeah, brain damage, it, it's an absolute possibility and it's a much increased possibility the younger you start. The younger you start smoking weed, the more likely any of these things are. So in your situation, would you, since you weren't like a chronic smoker, would you say that uh, the issue that you had uh, with the nipples would be caused by the box cereals, the pizza, the processed foods, all the sugars, the crap? Would you say that would be your main contributor to that defect? Absolutely. And chronic nutrient deficiencies. I was born with nutrient deficiencies. Obviously, I had dislocated hips, I had musculoskeletal problems. So I know I had multiple nutrient deficiencies. And then, yeah, I was raised on completely processed foods. Definitely. The processed sugar. What age was that at when you had that surgery? Uh, 18. I don't, remember, I don't even remember you having that issue. I hit it, man. They popped up when I was like 15. It was super embarrassing. Didn't know where they came from. I didn't know how to explain it. Um, I thought that going to the gym and getting jacked would fix it this, this is one of the big reasons i started going to the gym because i wanted to build chest muscles to make it less obvious i figured if i had maybe if i had muscles there it would kind of gobble up these hard deposits i didn't know what those hard deposits were and it didn't work at all in fact i've seen other guys do the same thing i've talked to men that admit this that they went to the gym for the same reason to build muscles because they thought that maybe Building muscles would give them more testosterone, and maybe that's what this is. There's not enough testosterone, or that the muscles would displace it. Like, oh, if I got a lot of muscles, you won't see that there's a growth there. But in fact, it's the opposite. The muscles just push it out further. And so you can actually see it more pronounced. And a lot of guys, including myself, will try and hide it by wearing tight undershirts and stuff like that. But you you can always notice it if you got uh, an idea of what you're looking for.
Is it cartilage buildup? Like, what is it? Fatty buildup? I'm not sure what it is. I think it's kind of like a stone. I, I could look that up. It's a, definitely a very hard deposit. It, it seems to be like a gallstone. Yeah, because it is a lot now. I see a lot of people with it, actually. It's so common. Would you say that this affects more obese uh, males than skinnier, or is it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter at all. I was skinny. You know me. I was yeah. thin as a board. And I had friends with it, too. That None of them wanted to talk about it. Now we deal with so many people. Strangers will talk to me about this, but my friends still don't want to talk about it. And that's okay. It's a lump of fatty tissue. That's what they say. Lump of fatty tissue. Kind of like a tumor a little bit. And yeah, they say it's just an imbalance of estrogen and testosterone. And so we know that marijuana is one of those big factors. But yeah, you asked me, I'd say processed food was the bigger factor. Probably processed food and marijuana. Because yeah, I started smoking during puberty or before puberty. I started at 11. So yeah, by the time I was 15, I definitely, it might have even been before that. might have been when I was 14. But I think it wasn't until I was 15 that those sprouted up. And yeah, marijuana probably had something to do with that. Processed sugar definitely had something to do with that. Gluten, I think, definitely had something to do with that because gluten prevents nutrients from being absorbed properly, especially the fatty nutrients. The fatty nutrients are what make testosterone and estrogen. Fatty nutrients, as mentioned before, that's what makes the testicles, the ovaries, all of your glands, including the gonads, are made of fatty nutrients. So gluten contributes to fatty nutrient deficiency. Therefore, you might have a problem in those systems, including the organs that produce the hormones themselves. And that's it. That's the explanation uh, that for what causes gynecomastia. It's not easy to reverse, but it is possible for sure. And yeah, there's multiple things that are contributing to hormone problems, not just one thing. I want to know if this relates at all. And then we can go back to the chemicals since you're talking about this. But on a few like videos that I've been watching, if I'm briefly uh, scrolling through uh, social media, talks about women that are straight that are on birth control take birth control for years and then now they are off birth control and they are attracted to a completely different type of male they don't even like their partner anymore what do you think about that would that be also chemical related to through medicine where does this case come from i've never heard of this i honestly i've heard it a few times uh on instagram reels uh just people generally talking about it i just thought it was completely strange i thought maybe uh maybe we can leave this one for now and talk about it at a different time but it was uh i found it pretty strange because my wife was on birth control for quite a few years thankfully she's still attracted to me <laughs> but um i was just thinking uh could that change your balancing your body to attract a different type of person because you've been put down by this medication or your I guess their hormones are different because they're taking this medication so now they're attracted to not the partner they're with but somebody else not changing their sexuality to going to like the same gender but like attracting a different type of male maybe someone with more testosterone than less or a different uh rather a passive person to a more of assertive person I don't know I just I just thought I'd uh, bring that up because I found it very interesting I guess it's possible. It's a, it's outside of my wheelhouse. I do know that birth control depletes several nutrients, especially key nutrients like the B vitamins and magnesium, calcium, potassium. In general, all drugs deplete those nutrients, vitamin C as well. So birth control in particular depletes those nutrients. And we just heard from Michael Lesser earlier that he believes niacin deficiency causes 
thoughtless promiscuity, pathological lying, and petty thievery, or contributes to it. And yeah, so if you get off of birth control, maybe you are absorbing more niacin, and your sexual behavior changes. Yeah, your nutrients definitely have a lot to do with your outlook, your self-esteem, your your energy, your motivations, your hormones. Absolutely. So once all that changes by changing any nutritional factor, you could possibly, I guess, be attracted to a different type of person. I thought it was oddly strange. Um, maybe this is something that uh, we can do a deeper dive into on another episode. But I just, I, it was on my mind. I had to bring it up. It was super interesting. So I thought maybe, maybe we could uh, expand on this. I don't know. But we can go back to the chemicals. Yeah, let's let's read atrazine here. Atrazine is one of the most famous chemicals here. I'm reading an abstract from the PubMed. And this is from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science in 2010. What it, What is this chemical? What is it for? Atrazine is a pesticide, and this has been talked about for a long time. There's a famous documentary showing how it changes the genitalia of frogs. And so this is just one of the most well-known chemicals that can change a person's gender, can cause transgenderism. And we're not going to look into a whole bunch of different chemicals. We're just going to read atrazine here just as a sort of introduction to this concept that, yeah, chemical exposure can definitely unambiguously change the sex of animals and cause transgender animals. Is this chemical sprayed on all foods that are uh, non-organic? Atrazine is one of the most commonly applied pesticides in the world. As a result, atrazine is the most commonly detected pesticide contaminant of ground, surface, and drinking water. It's a potent hormone disruptor that is active at low, ecologically relevant concentrations. So at the amount that they find in nature, that can disrupt hormones. It's not like, oh, we only find a little bit of it in nature, but it takes a lot to cause a result. No, the amounts that we find in our ecology, because of us, we added this chemical, those amounts change the sex of animals. Previous studies showed that atrazine adversely affects amphibian larval development. The present study demonstrates the reproductive consequences of atrazine exposure in adult amphibians. I'm just reading the abstract here. I'm not going to read the whole study. Atrazine-exposed males were both demasculinized, chemically castrated, and completely feminized as adults. 10% of the exposed genetic males developed into functional females. 10% of the genetic males developed into functional females that copulated with unexposed males and produced viable eggs. Genetic males produced viable eggs. Atrazine-exposed males suffered from depressed testosterone, Decreased breeding gland size, demasculinized slash feminized laryngeal development. So that's their uh, ability to croak, right? Frogs croak differently depending on the genders. And so that changed for them. Suppressed mating behavior, reduced spermatogenesis, production of sperm, and decreased fertility. These data are consistent with the effects of atrazine observed in other vertebrate classes. The present findings exemplify the role that atrazine and other hormone-disrupting pesticides likely play a goal in global amphibian declines. So again, this is not new. This particular article is from 2010, but this was kind of an old topic even back then. So yeah, it's well known that there are many chemicals, and some of them we use in massive, massive quantities, such as atrazine, that definitely affect the physiology of creatures that are very physically similar to us. 
you might not think a frog is very similar to us, but they're a vertebrate. They have a spine. All creatures with a spine need all the same nutrients. We follow the same basic developmental patterns that are absolutely affected by the same chemicals, same nutrient deficiencies, and so on. This is how we can study other mammals like rats and mice and rabbits and monkeys and come up with conclusions that actually are directly relevant to humans because a frog being a vertebrate, a mouse being a vertebrate, has more in common with us than differences physiologically, especially in our nutrient needs, the way that we respond to chemicals. It's basically the same across the vertebrate kingdom. It's not completely the same. All these animals are not completely the same, but we have similar responses or very similar responses when we're exposed to chemicals that disrupt our hormones or nutrient deficiencies and so on. Like the same nutrient deficiencies in humans and frogs will cause the same birth defects or cause the same diseases. Was this study done like in a lab for these frogs to find out what happened to them? Or is this something that like that these pesticides are sprayed on our our produce and then this is leaching into our water, fresh waterways and then we are drinking that water? Are these frogs getting pulled out of freshwater lakes and getting uh, tested for this? Or is this actually done in a, a facility where they've used these pesticides with these frogs and found out these results? Both have been done. Th this was a controlled study in the lab, but both have been done. And yeah, the famous documentary I'm thinking of, I can't remember the name of it. I still see clips of it on Instagram all the time. It's not new at all, but it's still being recycled. Yeah, where they're going around and collecting frog samples all over the place, different marshlands and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of this stuff does end up in the drinking water. If you drink tap water, which you shouldn't, that shouldn't be called drinking water. Tap water is not drinking water. Tap water is unequivocally bad. It has many bad chemical residues in it, including atrazine, including birth control, all kinds of pharmaceutical residue, because it's almost impossible to filter all that stuff out in the types of municipal filtration systems that we're using. You would have to use point of use filtration, meaning you have to filter it right where you're going to use it to guarantee that the most is taken out of it and to guarantee that it's as clean as possible. Like if you distill the water yourself, it doesn't have these residues in it. But if you rely on municipal filtration, just consider it filthy water. It's not drinkable water, not in my opinion. And yes, you will be exposed to residues of this. So in saying that, yeah, I don't drink tap water either. I find it absolutely disgusting. But do you think that from the pesticides being sprayed that it's leached into our municipal waters that we drink, that they don't recycle properly and then add their own additives to it? Or do you think they actually put this pesticide in the water? Which is, I know that sounds crazy, but like... Uh... No, they... It's it's from farm residue. All the waste goes back to the treatment plant. And then in that waste would be the pesticides, obviously. Basically recycled water, which is absolutely disgusting. And then we just re-recycle re it seven times and then send it back out for drinking water. I'm not sure 100% the whole process, but would you say that would be why we have that in our waterways? Yes, but it's not just the water. Remember, this is from crops. If you're eating produce, if you're eating meat, if you're eating eggs that are not organic, it's a guarantee that they have pesticide residue on it. And atrazine is just one of the most common ones that we use, but it will have multiple pesticide residues on it. All non-organic food. It's on the food. It's part of the food. You can't just wash it off. You can wash some of it off in the case of fruits and stuff, but it's in the tissues. We're being exposed no matter what. If we're eating from the farm system, the non-organic farm system, 
And a lot of people don't filter their shower water either. We do. We have a shower filter. Because you can absorb just as much crap from shower water. You absorb it in your eyes. You absorb it in you know, your mouth and your skin. Especially when it's hot, your pores are open. You're absorbing more in your skin than you would from drinking a glass of water. You absorb more than a glass of tap water in your skin. The chemicals from that if your shower is unfiltered. So... In saying that, going back to that study from the book that you didn't read all the way for the stats, I think you said 1984, that homosexual men in 1984, 20% said they were born this way. Would you say that is a contributor for chemicals and stuff in our waterways to contribute to that? Well, that first one with the 20%, that was back in 1940. So commercial fertilizers and pesticides were being used back then. But let's assume at least a 20 year difference, right? If the study was done in the 40s, who are they talking to? I'm, I'm saying they're probably at least 20 years old, most of them. So let's say they were born in 1920. Yeah, they would still be being exposed to a lot of different chemicals. But no, I'm not really prepared to blame that. I'm not because again, look at the look at those New Guinea people. Or look at the, some other tribes that we didn't talk about that do have some small percentage of males that prefer males. We were talking about more of uh, learned behaviors rather than, oh, I'm like, they feel like they were born that way and that's who they're attracted to. Yeah, so of course, yeah. So they were all basically being exploited as children, abused as children, and then some of them chose to stay with males. They just weren't interested in females. So yeah, there, there could be a large learned component there, but, you know, go back to Justin, little Justin. He was born like that, 100%. Was it because yeah. of the chemical? Maybe. Maybe. Was it a underdeveloped preoptic hypothalamus? Maybe. I don't know. But I, at this point, I'm not prepared to call all homosexuality a problem. right? Some of it does appear to just be perfectly natural. Again, like in the case with geese and several other species that I, I can't say that it's a birth defect. You know, they're way away from human beings. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a problem. I'm just saying more or less like could that be a contributor to if you're straight transgender, homosexual, that's more or less. I'm not saying it's an issue, but... It has to be somewhat of a contributor. We know rates of uh, testosterone has been going down, sperm count's been going down, fertility's been going down. All this is, is part of our hormone system. These are all signs that our hormone system is off, and it's just getting worse and worse through the years, through the generations. So was that starting all the way back in 1920s? Yeah, for sure. And nutrient deficiencies were catching on big time back then, because in... 1882, you know, Thomas Edison switched on the first commercial electric generating plant and the world started converting to electricity instead of wood. And so they didn't have wood ashes. That's plant derived minerals. They didn't have plant derived minerals anymore. And the fields didn't flood anymore because we dammed the rivers to get the electricity. So we used to flood the fields yearly with mud and silt and minerals and stopped happening. So mineral deficiency was already a big problem, especially in urban environments in the 1920s. So all, all these problems... If it is a birth defect component, we would expect to see the, that increase in frequency. And I think that's what we have seen. We're seeing an increase in frequency. And by the way, none of this means that this is reversible. All this means is that we can clean up this stuff in the environment. We can prevent birth defects. We can have children who are born with a mouth big enough to fit their wisdom teeth, with brains that fully develop, and so on. And I'm in favor of just letting the cards fall as they will. As long as we're doing our best to be as healthy as possible. That's our goal here. Be as healthy as possible. 
So if we do our best in supporting the nutrition, getting rid of the chemicals, getting rid of processed foods, getting rid of pharmaceutical drugs, then our children have as much as they possibly can have to develop properly. And if they develop totally properly and they're still gay, fine. I don't care. I'm just saying, I bet the frequency would decrease. And let's let's go back and fill this in. I never finished reading Dr. Wallach's thing here, but this is shown. Okay, People will say, well, how do you know the preoptic hypothalamus is deformed? Okay. Simon LaVey, head of the Institute of Gay and Lesbian Studies in West Hollywood, California, is known for finding anatomical brain differences between gay and straight men. In autopsy studies, he found that an area in the brain of the preoptic area of the hypothalamus center of sexual appetite and sex drive is smaller in gay men than it is in heterosexual men. Remember a very small part of the brain here already, but it's smaller in gay men. In 1990, LaVey compared cells from the medial preoptic region of the hypothalamus, the third interstitial nucleus of the anterior hypothalamus for the technically minded among you from 19 homosexual men, all of whom had died from AIDS with those of 16 heterosexual men, of whom six had died from AIDS. So we compared the cells from this part of the preoptic hypothalamus, and a primary concern with LaVey's study was the fact that some of the men died of AIDS, which affects and destroys brain cells. However, other cell collections in the brains of gay men in the study were identical in size and character with those of heterosexual men. There's another brain feature that shows a difference between gay and heterosexual men, it's the size of the anterior commissure, a bundle of nerve fibers that connects the right and left sides of the brain. The anterior commissure is smallest in the heterosexual man and of identical size in gay men and women. Two physical differences in the brains of gay and heterosexual men are most likely the result of a congenital malformation of the physical structure or a biochemical defect, again, resulting from a congenital deficiency of minerals. Back in 1978, Roger Gorski found the preoptic hypothalamic nuclei in rats controlled sexual appetite. In addition to size differences in male and female cell groups, Gorski found that male hormones play a key role in producing the size differences in males and females. So it's male sex hormones that produce the increased size of this part of the rat brain. So if there's low testosterone, for example, that could actually change the way that this sexual organ develops the preoptic hypothalamus lack of testosterone i'm just saying hypothetically this is my translation here that could actually cause the defect itself although many nutrients are involved in in birth defects nutrient deficiencies like you know, molybdenum and manganese and folic acid and zinc would be some of the big ones that cause birth defects especially neural tube defects and of course, the brain is part of the neural tube. It's part of the spinal column. Initially, males and females have the same size and number of cells in the preoptic area. A surge of testosterone secreted by the male fetus before birth appears to stabilize these cell populations. In females, the lack of the testosterone surge allows them to atrophy. So allows some of the preoptic hypothalamus to sort of wither away. Removing testosterone from adult males by castration does not cause a shrinking of the cells. Interesting, once they've already developed. Combined with the study of identical twins, which I, I didn't read earlier, that failed to show a genetic pattern, because the rate of both identical twins being gay would have to be 100% for that to be an absolute genetic pattern. That's not what they find in human studies. 
identical twins are not always gay. They're not always both gay. So it's not 100% correlation there. The LeVay study is a sure indication that gay behavior is a congenital defect rather than a genetic defect or behavioral choice. A parallel study of 147 gay women who had identical twin sisters showed only 48% who have twins that are gay and 16% of fraternal twins of gay women are gay, while only 6% of adopted sisters are gay. Approximately the same results as in the identical twin study in gay men. And LeVay's findings agree with German studies in the 1970s about the preoptic hypothalamus. And he's actually giving a uh, kind of a reason here that there can be behavioral and sexual differences in twins or species that have multiple litters because the embryos or the the puppies or whatever it is, they are competing for limited resources to a greater degree than single embryos. So when there's twins in the womb together, they are competing for nutrients. This is well known, actually. They will compete chemically in a way for the resources from the mother. And Luke, you and I, we know several twins. None of them are 100% alike. If anything, some of them are the most different people you'd ever meet. You know what? Like, now that you're saying that, like, even though they're both heterosexual, the ones that I'm going to talk about, actually two, one is more, like, masculine, and the other one is more, they're, they're, both, they're both straight, but um, more is a little bit more feminine, and you can tell by the structure of them, too. One is, one is more robust, and the other one is more slender. I know exactly what you're talking about, too. You can tell which one took more of the resources from the mother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can tell that for sure, 100%. And that's even with two different types of twins. I'm not saying, like, all of them, but definitely the two that I'm thinking of, that's what I see. Yeah, and a couple of my best friends growing up as well, they were twins, and one of them had obvious metabolic and obesity problems back from the start, which is a nutrient thing as well. And incidentally, the one who did not have that metabolic problem, he ended up being the one who was tested higher for IQ. He was the one put in the gifted program. He was the one who graduated university and all this stuff. The other one's not dumb by any means. Just, uh, yeah, it looks like one of them won out and they got a bit of a better brain, a bit of a better metabolism, a bit of a better hormone system from the start. And that initial advantage, of course, compounds as you continue going on. But yeah, so, okay, babies and embryos compete for nutrients. So this explains why twins are not 100% alike. Some of them are more developed than others. And some of them, you know, who might end up gay, this is what Dr. Wallach is saying, they're the ones with the preoptic hypothalamus defect caused by a nutrient deficiency in the womb. If it was purely genetic, then both twins would have it. Triplets, they'd all be gay or none of them would be gay. It'd be 100% correlation if it was a genetic phenomenon, but it's not. And many studies have been looking for gay genes, and that's been argued and debunked again and again and again. There are no gay genes. It's not genetic. We had someone in high school, and one of them I think ended up becoming some sort of a doctor. They're very smart. They structure their body. They're in good shape. And the other one ended up being disabled. And they oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. That makes me believe as well. One got most of the nutrients rather than the other one because the other one got the short end of the sick by far. I don't remember their names, but I felt horrible for the kids. Super nice guy. He, he, had, he always had fun with life, but definitely got the short end of the sick because his brother... Wow, did he get, like, completely opposites. Completely opposites. Yeah, so so these twins that we're talking about, the brother, the the normal one, let's say, yeah, he looks like a Hollywood actor almost a little bit to me. I was, I was looking at him on Facebook a little while ago. I know who they are. 
And yeah, he, he's all put together. He's in, he's in good shape. You know, he's got a nice chiseled jawline and everything. He's totally lucid intellectually, very smart. And yeah, his brother, although he's a very, very nice guy, you know, one of the nicest human beings I've ever met for sure. But he's confined to a wheelchair. He is severely developmentally disabled. He'll never be on his own. He'll never be able to take care of himself. And yeah, they're twins. So yeah, twins, embryos can fight for nutrients and one of them can win. Definitely. So yeah, he's talking about here the nutrients that are involved in these birth defects, especially including zinc, manganese, magnesium, gallium, copper, B12, folic acid, vitamin A. I already mentioned vitamin A earlier. And we know there's many problems with birth defects. Remember, this book is all the way back in 1994, but still, birth defects were a big problem back then. And back then, Americans ranked 23rd in live births and first year survivability of their newborns in the world. That's what the most expensive uh, medical system in the entire world, they ranked 23rd. So if we still have a problem with live births and first year survivability of the newborns, that's pointing to a very severe nutrient deficiency problem in America. And obviously... That has not gone away. Yeah, it's probably going to be worse. So that's it for that book. And I'm not going to go much further into this other book here, the the one about the AIDS scandal by Paul Cameron. But I think we've touched the topic pretty well. I think we've done it. Yeah, I think we've gone into all this. Um, are we able to give our listeners like maybe a sneak peek of like what we're talking about for our next episode for next week? Yeah, let's sneak peek it. You, you want to talk about ions, right? Positive negative ions positive ions uh emf i think we're gonna touch into that topic quite well next week i think it's gonna grab a lot of listeners if you like this this is a great topic to topic talk about yeah i haven't dived deep into ions on any podcast before usually we talk about emf i've talked about emf till i'm blue in the face i've had guests talk about emf been talking about it for years but ions are a totally different conversation even though it's on the same subject it's a totally different conversation so i'm, I'm excited to look into that uh, to, or to dive deep into that and even uh, grounding too right can we touch on that or is that too much that's part of it grounding is absolutely yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. ion conversation yeah luke i just got a uh, testimonial in like right now this was eight minutes ago and i'd like to i'd like to read it let's read it Hey, Ryan, crazy how fast a month can fly by. So she just started a month ago. I'm really happy to give you an update on my progress and also ask for your advice. Or, sorry, ask for your divine support. Wow, man, people give me so much respect. I still don't know how to handle it. And ask for your divine support on some other issues I've seemed to create for myself. So I'm not going to read that part of it. But the tumor cell in left breast, so we're talking about breast cancer here. I remember this case. I know she's got breast cancer. The tumor cell in the left breast is about the size of a large tangerine and is slowly decreasing. And I'm holding the frequency for de-energizing it along with your product recommendations. And that is going amazing. I don't know what she's talking about holding the frequency for de-energizing it. So I mentioned that sometimes, well, most of the time when people like they have cancer and they decide to do something good, something natural, they usually do a bunch of things. They usually don't just take supplements. They usually start taking supplements and going to the gym, right? Or they stop eating processed foods and they start going for walks or meditating or whatever. They're doing multiple things. So clearly she's doing something else here with frequencies, but whatever. Really appreciate all your love and support and any more direction on this tumor. I would be open to hearing. Okay. And then her other stuff, she's talking about an injury. She, she broke, she broke a bone. 
she wants to talk about it. I'm not going to read that. But yeah, it looks like she's uh, she's going good. Didn't give me an exact like, you know, how much the uh, tumor shrunk or anything or didn't give me any numbers or tests or anything like that. But I'm glad she at least feels like she's going in the right direction. And let me say just quickly, that's probably one of the most important things at all. If you are constantly feeling like you're dying, you are going to die. You're killing yourself with those thoughts. This is a literal thing here. We've got the placebo response, which is our body's natural ability to heal. And we've got the nocebo response. If you think that what you're doing is bad for you, it's going to be bad for you. If you think that what you're doing is good for you, even if it's a placebo pill, this is why placebo pills work. If you think it's going to do something, your brain will make it do something. So the fact that she is thinking positively right now, to me, that's actually more important than what she's consuming or not consuming. She has to believe that she's on the right track. We do get sometimes some people with cancer, they're constantly going to the doctor, getting test after test after test. They're constantly thinking about it. They get started on the program on Tuesday. On Friday, they're calling me saying, you know, I don't know if what I'm doing is the right thing. I don't know. Should I change anything? Should I do anything? Should I take more of this? Should I take less of this? They're causing so much stress that they can't just believe and have faith in the process that they're actually hurting themselves more and they're going to have a harder time getting that positive result, unfortunately. So you have to harness the power of positivity and the power of the placebo in conjunction with things that actually are good. You know, we're not trying to trick you into believe that something bad is good for you and drinking turpentine and, and, you know, you just believe that it's good for you and all of a sudden it is. No, you want to do the good stuff, but you also want to have faith and confidence that what you're doing is the right thing and your problems should actually reverse. And Luke, let me read one more quick one here too. This one's much more simple. So she is saying, uh, hey, thank you so much. I've done the salt flush and my GERD has gone away. GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Basically acid reflux. It's a different word for chronic acid reflux, GERD. She did the salt flush and the GERD has gone away. It's amazing. The water was super tasty, but not salty. The salt flush is an incredibly salty drink of water for those of you who don't know. If you message us and get a protocol from us, I always give you the salt flush. So if you want the salt flush, you can reach out to me anyway. Again, my contact information, it should be in the description of this podcast, as well as on my website, notusbooks.org. You can find my Instagram accounts. You can reach out there. You can even find my email and email me. You could ask me for the salt flush directly. I'll give it to you. Salt flush changes lives. And I've got a video explaining it and some of the experiences that I've had with it as well. So she's saying the water was super tasty, which means it was she was really low on salt because it's an extremely salty glass of water. It was super tasty, but not salty. So she must have really had a deficiency. Yes, that is exactly what that means. And my daughter, she said, what's also funny is my daughter did have GERD. And as soon as we cut back on the gluten and also gave her some salty bone broth, it has really helped her as well. It's amazing. Also, my asthma has been so much better thanks to your recommendation. Asthma is usually caused by gluten intolerance, by the way. She's just saying here, she's thankful. She's not on the products, right? She's just doing all the free recommendations. I think this result, we got this result even before she got on her program. I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to speak too far out of turn, but this happens all the time because people come to us. They say, hey, I'd like your advice. We say, great, fill out this questionnaire. They'd fill it out. We respond. When we respond, we give them some information, tying it up. We give them our product recommendation for the first month and food. We give them the food blurbs and the salt flush. So the salt flush says, do this immediately. 
So I'm just saying that usually people actually do the salt flush before they even order the products or definitely before the products arrive. It's going to take a few days for them to arrive. So we tell you the protocol now. And the thing to start doing right now is to do the salt flush and to get rid of the bad food. So yeah, often we do get a result before they even get their products. If it's coming from the salt flush. Yeah, the salt flush is incredibly powerful. We've absolutely oh, yeah. changed lives from it, especially in this GERD category. I have seen GERD go away in front of my eyes. You know, I've seen a guy foaming at the mouth. He's got GERD so bad. He's literally foaming. He has no stomach acid at all. And it stopped in front of us with one salt flush in front of us. In real time, it stopped, never came back. He kept using salt, never had GERD again. His life has changed. Imagine foaming at the mouth, right? All the time. Crazy. Salt flush can get rid of it. You don't even need to buy anything. Just drink a glass of salt water. So yeah, you can message us for the salt flush if you like. And if you get a uh, protocol from us, we'll give you the salt flush anyways. And yeah, she was just saying, thankful, blessed. Thank you so much. I feel I've been given way better information than a doctor has ever given me. That was her last sentence there. And that's something we hear all the time. People say, you did more for me than my doctor did. And I'm I'm not doubting that at all. I know that doctors don't have that much time to sit down with people and hear their story in detail and give them a proper nutritional recommendation. Doctors don't even know how to give a proper nutritional recommendation. They're not taught nutrition. Anyways, that's all the testimonials that I've got here today, Luke. I have those three saved up. Yeah, they're good. They're good. That's super positive. I like the one with uh, Protivo as well because we can't believe in it. It's not going to happen. Um, I like the positive vibes. It's a positive place. You know, we all want to be happy and we want everyone to be healthy. And uh, while you're doing the process, no matter what state you're in, honestly, manifesting good vibes and all that stuff is definitely going to help your process a lot more because if you believe it, it's real, right? Yeah, that's not a small thing. The, the power of your mind, you should understand, it's more powerful than any therapy, even the best vitamins and minerals in the world. If it's true that we have the best products in the world, Still, you still want to use your brain to help your healing. And if you don't, you might be destroying your own body with your own thoughts. It's the truth. I agree. I agree. Suppressing your own immune system, ruining your own life, not just physically, you know, but bad attitude causes failure. It's probably the number one cause of failure in general of, of anything that you want to name. Yeah, no, I agree. Cool. Uh, I'm going to say, Ryan, well, thank you for having me on. I I will see you and everybody next week. Thank you for listening and everybody have a great day. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Luke. Of course, once again, you can find everything we do, all of our content, all of my books and our books, not Luke's books, but uh, our group here that we've been producing. You can find all of it on notusbooks.org. Once again, notusbooks.org. You can find everything those of you who are listening to this archived podcast, if you're listening on my website, stick around. We have a special treat for you at the end on all these episodes when you listen on my website. And for everybody else, including Luke, I appreciate all of you. Thank you for being here, sitting through this long talk. And yeah, we'll see everybody next time. Take care.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.